Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Well, many of you know that Pastor Bob will not be with us this morning. He is preaching at City Hope Fellowship, our church plant. And so this morning we get to hear from a longtime member of our congregation, and he is the professor of philosophy at Taylor University, Jim Spiegel. So Jim, may the Lord bless you. Well, I've had my first technological malfunction. <clears throat> but our sound's working uh, nonetheless, right? It's good to be here um, in this position, looking at you from this vantage point. Um, as uh, was just mentioned, I teach philosophy at Taylor University. Uh, where I've been doing that for, well, quarter century now. And, um, you know, it's always risky putting a professor in the pulpit because we are trained to go uh, 50 and 75 minute intervals. And uh, my constraint here is, I don't know, about 40 minutes. So if it gets to be about 12.30, 12.45, if somebody just start, um, you know, making some noise or or doing what my students do and, you know, closing some books and, and rustling some papers. That'll be a, a clue that, you know, I need to shut it down. Um, so we're on our third uh, Sunday of a series on um, the spiritual disciplines, which is, has been called uh, basic training. And as you can tell by the, the icons in the, uh, that slide there, um, the, well, the first two uh, installments of this series, one was on um, Bible study, and the second one last week, Pastor Bob talked about prayer, and today we're going to talk about fasting. Notice the icon, the empty plate there, and then I believe next week it'll be uh, giving, and then worship the following week, and then uh, fellowship. So um, I am, uh, as I mentioned, talking about fasting and um, while Pastor Bob is speaking at City Hope, um, let me open us with a word of prayer here. Thank you, God, for um, your presence with us this morning, that we can worship you uh, freely, and that you have blessed us with uh, spiritual disciplines. These are gifts from you that we can use to grow in our faith, grow closer to you, develop uh, the fruit of the Spirit, and I pray that you would uh, speak through me now um, and uh, guide our thinking as we reflect on this particular discipline of fasting. We pray in Jesus' name. So uh, here's a little bit of review uh, before I talk about fasting in particular. Um, what are the spiritual disciplines? Um, this is a definition I like to use, that uh, the spiritual disciplines are uh, methods of moral spiritual training that build self-control and draw us closer to God. Dallas Willard has a, a I think a, a very good definition of the spiritual disciplines as well. He defines them as activities of mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. Dallas Willard is uh, 
<clears throat> or has been one of the leading um, Christian thinkers on spiritual formation. He died a couple of years back, but he wrote a number of books <clears throat> on the spiritual disciplines. And one that I would in particular recommend very highly is called The Spirit of the Disciplines. Um, he also wrote a book called The, the Divine Conspiracy, which is excellent. So I highly recommend his works. Um, the thing to remember when, when talking about spiritual disciplines is that they are ways in which we nourish the relationship that we have with God and that, you know, it is a genuine relationship that we have with God. And so both parties need to be uh, active in nourishing that relationship. I have a good friend down in Houston who uh, was visited a year or so ago by <clears throat> um, a mutual friend of ours that he had not seen, and I haven't seen this person in 30 years, um, back when I was in grad school. And this guy was a devout Christian. And my friend, whose name is Dan, he just started catching up with him and you know, asking him question how his, uh, asking him very, various questions about his, how his life has gone. And, uh, the guy said, well, you know, it's been rough and, um, you know, I don't even know what I believe anymore. This guy was a, seemed to be a devout Christian back in the day. And uh, Dan discovered that he was kind of a religious skeptic. And Dan said, well, you know, when was the last time you went to church? Are you, are you, you know, faithfully involved in a church? He says, oh, I haven't been to a church and uh, worship service in years. He says, do you read the Bible? No, almost never. Do you pray? Mm, not really. And Dan said, well, how do you expect your relationship with God to continue if you aren't doing anything to feed that relationship, right? I mean, again, it's a two-way street. Um, you, you need to be nourishing your relationship with God and through the spiritual disciplines. And of course, um, this is something that all Christians understand intuitively, or we should understand, but if you let those things slide and you stop engaging in the disciplines, your relationship with God will surely suffer. So what are the different kinds of spiritual disciplines? Um, writers on spiritual formation often distinguish between disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of engagement. The disciplines of abstinence include chastity, fasting, frugality, sacrifice, secrecy, silence, solitude, and then the disciplines of engagement, which involve a certain activity, um, in, include celebration, confession, fellowship, meditation, prayer, service, study, submission, and worship. And this, this is really not even an exhaustive list. There, there's some other lesser known disciplines, but all of which you can find illustrations uh, in scripture of people practicing these disciplines and sometimes direct commands. Um, I've highlighted in red the six disciplines that are included in this series, um, two of which are disciplines of abstinence and two of which are disciplines of engagement. So here's a text that um, I always come back to when talking about the, the spiritual disciplines. And uh, I appreciate this text um, especially because there's an athletic metaphor there. I'm, I'm into sports. Um, <clears throat> I love um, really sports of all kinds. And um, over the years as a Christian, I've recognized the, the powerful 
spiritual metaphor, particularly in, in regards to spiritual disciplines, uh, more and more so in my own life. I've seen just how uh, there's a, such a powerful parallel there. So it's not an accident that, that Paul uses this um, as an analogy. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And then another uh, Pauline epistle, he sums it up a bit more succinctly. First Timothy 4, he says, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. It's a rather tantalizing point he makes there at the end in terms of the benefits that uh, will accrue to us in the afterlife. And he mentions this also in that 1 Corinthians 9 passage. So these are powerful endorsements of doing spiritual training using the, the disciplines. Um, so that's a powerful analogy, uh, the, the sports analogy. Another one I like to use is, is carpentry. Um, this is a photograph that I'm told must go back 70 years. Um, can, can you guess why? Um, that particular piece of technology kind of gives it away. I don't, I don't know um, when that went out of style, but I certainly don't see any uh, hand drills like that these days. Um, but here's a carpenter who has this particular skill using that particular kind of drill. To be a good carpenter, you have to have a lot of different skills. You have to have developed a, um, a number of uh, different abilities with regard to all the different facets of carpentry. Um, I appreciate this metaphor, uh, especially just because I like myself, I like working with wood, building stuff, um, pieces of furniture with wood. It takes a lot of skills, individual discrete skills in order to make um, a, a bed or a buffet or uh, bookshelves. And so it goes with the spiritual life. There are lots of particular skills, you might say, that we have to develop in terms of prayer and Bible study and uh, fasting and so on. So that's a helpful analogy for me. The main point being that building a Christian character uh, involves some intentional training. And then the athletic metaphor, again, uh, if any of you uh, were involved in sports or athletics up to, say, high school or even college, you know that there are a lot of things that you have to do in terms of training that are highly unpleasant, repetitive tasks like wind sprints uh, that make you feel like you're completely wasting your time. It can be discouraging, but what it does is it makes you stronger. It makes you better in the heat of competition. And so, the, so there's a similar principle involved when it comes to uh, the Christian's spiritual disciplines. That is Stephen Curry. You might have recognized uh, him, he's a guard for the Golden State Warriors. 
and I believe he's a three-time NBA champion. They've, they've won the championship three of the last four years. If Pastor Brian was here, you know, he'd be um, shaking his head right now. He's not a Warriors fan. But what the heck is Stephen Curry doing there? Can you, can you figure that out? Um, seems to me what's going on is he's practicing his dribbling while a coach is throwing tennis balls at his face. Okay? Now, this is not something that normally happens in NBA games. You rarely see tennis balls out on the court when uh, these guys are playing. But what they are encountering is a lot of resistance by the opposition, right? And I bet it's a lot harder to maintain possession of the ball dribbling through traffic uh, against an NBA team than it is to swat away tennis balls. But that's a good, that's a good drill to kind of develop that um, level of concentration and really multitasking so that he can succeed out on the basketball court. If you do this at home, kids, though, do follow uh, Stephen uh, Curry's example and wear some protective goggles for sure. Uh, basketball, um, I like to note, as well as other sports, is a uh, it involves, I've got to be careful how I say this because this could offend some sports fans or basketball fans, but it's true that it is inherently meaningless, the object of the game, okay? Trying to get a, a, a rubber sphere through a metal ring. Let's see who can do that the most. I mean, that's, that's not something that's an inherently valuable thing. Uh, but sports does have tremendous value right? Athletics is very valuable in an instrumental way because of the power it has to develop character and build all sorts of virtues, um, as well as to entertain and provide, you might say, theater without script. I think that's one of the most powerful things about sports is you have theater without a script, and if the game is well-designed like basketball is, like football or baseball, and to a lesser degree, soccer, um, <laughs> You can talk to me after a service if you want my critiques of that sport. But what they all do is they, um, they, they have this kind of theatrical, dramatic narrative that unfolds. And I think we're all drawn to sports, at least in part because of the beauty that is there, right? There's a real aesthetic that is significant in sports. Um, but it's also character building. And it's, again, a, a wonderful metaphor for the spiritual life because there's so much training you have to do uh, to prepare yourself and to grow in terms of your ability to succeed. Okay, so what is fasting in particular? Fasting is the intentional abstinence from food <clears throat> and possibly drink um, for the sake of spiritual growth. It can be extended to other domains. You can fast from technology. You can fast from Facebook or social media uh, for a period of time. You could fast from certain forms of recreation or unnecessary purchases or whatever it is in order to develop self-control and uh, to grow spiritually. And it can be applied to particular foods. There's lots of ways that one can fast. One could fast entirely from food uh, and water for a spell. I, I have not done that yet. Um, frankly, the, the reports I've heard of how intense the headaches become by the second day 
make me a little wary there, but uh, many Christians have done that. I have a colleague at Taylor who said he, he, when he said he fasts every January for 17 days, I don't know why 17, but uh, he does that and uh, other fasts throughout the year. And uh, he also, he says he's fasted for three days without food or water. He said the, the headaches were violent. But he said, I've never been so close to the Lord. It was exquisite. Um, and this particular faculty member has a very powerful ministry on campus. And I don't think it's a, a, a coincidence there. So fasting can look a lot of ways. There's lots of different forms that it can take. Um, as it goes for so many of the spiritual disciplines, we can, um, we can practice this discipline in creative ways, uh, in different ways, um, do it differently each time we fast if we want. Who practices the spiritual disciplines? There's, you know, dozens if not scores of uh, major biblical figures, um, Christian leaders, leaders in Israel and the Old Testament who fasted, Moses, <clears throat> David, Elijah, Esther, Daniel, Paul, Jesus, and his disciples. Um, Jesus at one point even says, when you fast. He doesn't, he doesn't say if you fast, but when you fast, don't make a big show of it. You know, um, Don't be ostentatious with your fasting or, or prideful about it. But he takes for granted that you know, his followers will be fasting. And then Christian leaders, since biblical times, you know, most if not all of the reformers, Luther, Calvin, Knox, um, as well as John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney, many, many others uh, in years gone by and today um, <clears throat> have fasted. And it goes beyond the Christian tradition, beyond the Judeo-Christian tradition. Many other religious leaders and philosophers fasted. Zoroaster, Hippocrates, Confucius, the Buddha, Muhammad, uh, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, a lot of major philosophers down through history. In fact, most of the spiritual disciplines are not unique to the Christian tradition. That's an important thing to remember. What it goes to show is that they really are a matter of common sense, uh, the, the, these disciplines. Why is fasting important? Well, for one thing, it builds moral strength, uh, and particularly self-control, which is, um, you might say, the hub of a lot of other virtues, okay? You know, in order to be patient, you have to have self-control. In order to manage your temper well and not blow up when you're angry, you have to have self-control. <clears throat> if you struggle with lust, in order to master that, you have to develop self-control. If you're a temperate person and you control yourself in these regards, um, that is, you might say, one application of the general virtue of self-control. Fasting also trains us to maintain our focus on God through suffering. Even though you're not suffering when you're fasting, it is uncomfortable, right? Um, and so learning the skill of maintaining your focus and staying on task even though you're, you've got some gnawing hunger pangs or at least you're, you have a strong appetite, um, that is useful. 
and it will benefit you in other contexts where self-control and focus in spite of discomfort is called for. It's interesting, on, on days that I fast, I t my teaching tends to go better when I teach my classes on the days I fast. Um, I thought it was just a coincidence um, the first few times that happened, and then it, I recognized a pattern. And um, I think maybe it's simply God, you know, answering my prayer and making me more effective as a teacher on days that I'm fasting. And maybe it's just a natural consequence of um, a kind of mental diligence and, 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 and focus that you need um, to work through a fast that, that helps that to happen. It also makes a statement of our moral spiritual earnestness. Um, it, it, I think of it as a kind of reinforcement to my prayers. It's like a, a, a behavioral, physical um, emphasis on my prayers. And I'm dedicating this day to praying for so-and-so. A lot of my, my fasts, and other people do this often as well, are, are focused on particular um, situations in my life or situations in other people's lives. Uh, family members, friends, some of you have fasted for many of you over the years, and it's powerful how God uh, honors that. And then uh, it reminds us that our bodily comforts are not what is most important. I mean, we are Americans after all. We, we are trained in this culture to, <clears throat> to value our, our physical creature com comforts more than most, and fasting has a way of kind of shining the light on the fact that <laughs> you are uh, completely in, in God's hands. What is good for you ultimately is not just all of these creature com comforts, um, but it's your relationship with God, and He is the one uh, her, who nourishes you ultimately. This is not an exhaustive list. Um, there are many other points that people have made with regard to the importance of fasting. Um, my wife Amy made a point one day, probably 10, 15 years ago, when we really started uh, fasting uh, more regularly and, and uh, we would do it sometimes on the same day um, and then kind of reflect on it um, as thoughts came to mind later in the day. And <clears throat> one of the things she noted, which I thought was profound, was that fasting is not really about the stomach, right? I mean, that's where the, <laughs> the, the annoyance is and the discomfort is. Uh, but she said, for her, and this is how it is for me, it's, it's really more about your pride, um, and as soon as she said that, I said, that is exactly right. And um, it, it, it hits your pride because you realize how, how, how weak you really are and how dependent we are. And also, um, it gets my pride because as much as I fasted, it's still really hard. <laughs> it's not, it never gets to the point where it's just easy. Um, and... It seems like it should. If I've done it many times, why can't it become easy? It's always hard, and that is humbling. I am so weak um, and frail that just a, a day without food can, 
can, can make me uh, feel so um, <laughs> uh, vulnerable or weak or frail. So uh, some have called this um, voluntary weakness, that fasting is a kind of voluntary weakness, and that's what sets you up for noticing and kind of rejuvenating your sense of dependence upon God. What are some uh, common occasions for fasting? Just biblically speaking, I've got three categories here of, of occasions for fasting that we find uh, in the scriptures, beginning with uh, the book of Leviticus. There was a day of atonement, which included uh, a, a fasting by the assembly. The Israelites would, would give up a meal or more and um, make a food offering to the Lord. In 1 Samuel 7, uh, Israel uh, repents of their idol worship, and they do so with a, with a significant fast. Uh, you're familiar with the story of Jonah when he preaches to the Ninevites. At last, when he finally comes around and actually uh, preaches to them, they do repent, and they repent with a citywide fast. Uh, in Joel, God tells his people to return to me with all your heart. They've been wayward again. He says, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. And then Paul's response after he was um, stricken by the Holy Spirit in Acts 9, that dramatic encounter he had with Jesus and the, the voice that came to him that others heard, but they didn't see anything. It was a, must have been um, a pretty powerful experience. Paul right, converts, he recognizes Jesus is the Messiah, and he goes on a very strict fast. He stops eating, he stops drinking, and I think they actually had to force him to eat and drink after that third day because this can kill you. And if you've never fasted before, um, I recommend you don't start with a radical fast like that. Begin by, you know, skipping a meal or something and work up. But Paul was a, uh, no doubt, as a dedicated Pharisee, he did a lot of fasting, so he was able to survive that. But that was his response. He knew it was the right response in uh, that situation where he's repenting of his spiritual pride and other sins that he'd been convicted of. Also, another important occasion for fasting is seeking God's counsel or blessing in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are commissioned um, in their, uh, their ministerial work with a fast. And then later on, the next chapter of Acts, we're told that Paul and Barnabas, when they commissioned the elders at uh, the churches of Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, they all fast. In that case, this is, this is not a very common practice in evangelical churches today. I know when we commission elders and deacons, we, some praying and laying on of hands, we don't fast, um, but that would be a perfectly appropriate biblical thing to do. Um, <clears throat> and then finally, in seeking God's strength or making requests, um, in Ezra 8, Ezra and his fellow Israelites were told they, pa they fasted and petitioned God for a safe journey back to Israel. They had been gone from their homeland, and now they're heading back, and who knows what 
People might want to attack them, destroy them. They were hated by many. So uh, what they did is they fasted as they prayed that God would protect them. Matthew 4, um, this, is, this is well known how Jesus fasted when he was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. The Bible says fasted 40 days. And then Mark 9, when some of the disciples were having difficulty casting demons or a demon out of a particular person, Jesus finally arrives and he casts the, the demon out, the master exorcist that he was. And then they ask him, well, why were we having so much trouble getting this demon out of this person? And Jesus says, well, this kind can come out only by much prayer, and many manuscripts say prayer and fasting. Um, I don't know what the original manuscript said, uh, but probably the fact that some of those early manuscripts include that phrase, and fasting, is indicative of, of something. It'd certainly be consistent with the rest of the Bible's teaching regarding the power of fasting, the spiritual power in this. So we're always in need of these things, right? Um, we all need to repent. We all have sins that we're struggling with. Um, we all need divine counsel. We need God's guidance. We need God's strength. And we need various provisions throughout our life. Um, so it's always appropriate, you know, in one way or another for a Christian to fast and um, you know, whether it's on a monthly basis or a weekly basis or just uh, sort of aimed at particular needs or situations that arise in one's life. There are all sorts of good occasions for fasting. Well, what about the problem of abuse? Um, sometimes this point is raised um, maybe in a, in a way that's distinct from other spiritual disciplines there could be worries about legalism when it comes to fasting. You know, Jesus highlights the, <clears throat> the pride, the spiritual pride and legalism of the Pharisees, uh, in particular with regard to how they would make a show of their fasting and make it, you know, uh, a display of just how holy they were as they tried to look gaunt and let everybody know that they're sacrificing for the Lord in this way. And they weren't the last ones to use fasting as an, occasional, as an occasion for spiritual pride. And also, um, the problem of eating disorders. Uh, what about those who've struggled with eating disorders? Would it be wise for them to tempt themselves in this direction? Well, here's how I would respond to this, and that is just to say that um, these are... Um, these are problems that arise in the, in the uh, context of fasting which involve a kind of distortion of a good thing. And they're, they're distortions of, and warpings um, of really all of the spiritual disciplines as well as the doing of theology and, and sex. People abuse these things in our culture. But we don't as a result of that, just reject them altogether and throw the baby out with the bathwater. What we do is we try to practice them responsibly and in a way that honors God rather than abusing them. And so it goes for fasting. 
We don't allow legalistic abuses of uh, other spiritual disciplines to discourage us from Bible study or prayer or worship, nor should we allow that to, to be the case here when we're talking about fasting. But it is wise to be on your guard when it comes to the legalistic mindset or spiritual pride. Um, this is something always to watch out for, but again, we should be watching out for spiritual pride in the context of any spiritual discipline, not just fasting. When it comes to eating disorders, I would recommend that um, either, you know, wait a few years if you've struggled recently with eating disorders, wait a few years before you, you practice this discipline, or if it's been a long time and um, you feel like you've worked through most of the issues there, do so only with strict accountability uh, or practice selective fasting where you focus on certain favorite foods, be it sweets or meats or coffee, uh, whatever it is that you like most. So where to start if you've never fasted? Um, I would recommend beginning by skipping a single meal. Uh, and then after you do that several times, work up to skipping two meals and so on. What I generally do is um, say I'll eat dinner on a Wednesday night. For whatever reason, I like fasting on Thursdays. <clears throat> uh, but I'll, after I finish dinner on, on Wednesday night, then I won't eat anything until the following day dinner. And I'll drink stuff. Uh, water and uh, sometimes milk. Um, and then sometimes if I feel like I'm getting into too much of a routine with it, I'll mix it up and, um, you know, maybe just fast till two o'clock or um, I'll let myself have smoothies along the way or I'll go two or three days with just smoothies or something. Uh, there's lots of things you can do in terms of um, you know, unique forms of fasting, and also mixing and matching with other disciplines. Uh, but I recommend, uh, if you haven't fasted, or even if you have, and you want to, you know, resume or re return to this discipline that you haven't practiced in a while, is read uh, the chapter on fasting in Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline. This, this is probably the best book available on the spiritual disciplines. It gets into the, the, the theology of it, but it's also very practical in nature, and his, his, his chapter on fasting is just superb. And here's what you can expect when fasting. You can expect some discomfort. Okay? That probably goes without saying. Remember, it's like athletic training. No pain, no gain. We have bumper stickers that declare that. We all agree. Um, even with something as, you know, comparatively trivial as sports, we recognize no pain, no gain. Um, I, I try to take a similar mindset to spiritual training, particularly in the area of fasting. Only here the gain is eternal, as Paul notes, the benefits for the life to come. You can also expect some discouragement. At least this is how it works for me and a lot of people I know. At some point during the day you say, well, <clears throat> wow, this is not helping me. This is just a waste of time. Um, but you have to keep in mind that the benefits of fasting are more long-term than short-term. And the enemy will try to discourage you 
because it's so powerful and it's amazing the things that come up on fasting days. Uh, coincidentally, it seems. No, probably spiritual warfare uh, to discourage you um, from fasting. So those are some unpleasant things, but on the positive side, you can expect, at least eventually, increased self-control and the related virtues of patience and chastity and anger management and, and so on. Um, this is the first prescription I have to anyone who struggles with pornography. Um, even though it seems like they're in two different domains, right? Controlling your stomach, controlling lust. It's a transferable skill. Uh, if you are able to say no to and resist your body's strongest urge, which is for food, with the possible exception of, of oxygen, I suppose oxygen would be number one. But there's no spiritual discipline that targets, you know, oxygen intake, thankfully. Holding your breath, spiritual discipline of holding your breath. Never heard of it. Um, I guess someone could devise that. Maybe the, the ancient, you know, desert fathers did that. They came up with all sorts of spiritual disciplines that were unique and bizarre. <clears throat> but fasting from food, you are targeting maybe your body's second strongest urge. And if you can deny that consistently throughout a day, how much easier is it then to deny yourself of other urges that are strong, but they're not fundamental to your survival, uh, as in the case of sexual appetite? So if you struggled with pornography or are struggling with it or just with lust in general, I recommend fasting. Um, as a, a, a very helpful prescription there for dealing with that problem. It builds moral muscle that uh, transfers into other areas of your life. And then finally, joy and assurance. The Holy Spirit will confirm His presence in your life. Um, again, it might not feel that way in the midst of it, but then if you make a regular practice of it, it's really profound and wonderful um, how the Holy Spirit visits you um, blessing your fasting. This is not a widely cited verse or quoted one because it, it can seem kind of dark, but um, the epistle, my namesake, James, he says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So fasting is a kind of self-humbling, but then he exalts those who humble themselves. Um, and I think one of the forms of exaltation is just this remarkable peace and joy that God provides us. So what is our, fine, our uh, ultimate motivation to fast, it's, you know, it's, it's so important to remember that the reason that we fast is not to gain any kind of um, points with God to earn our salvation, right? Our salvation is fully accomplished in Christ, His atoning work, that's what did it for us, and His grace is what saves us. Fasting is a response of gratitude and saying, thank you, Lord, that you have saved me. I want to be more obedient, and thank you for this gift that is the spiritual discipline of fasting and for all the other spiritual disciplines as well. But this is a gift to make us stronger 
and abide better in Him, out of gratitude we should fast and, and, and thanking Him uh, for the finished work of salvation that He has accomplished. We can think of it as not working for our salvation, but working out our salvation. As Paul says in Philippians 2, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And then in Ephesians 2, this is quoted earlier by one of our young theologians, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, Paul says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Usually we leave it there, by the way, but there's more context that follows that's so important to remember, and that is we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to obey Him, right? Good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So we should be training ourselves so that we can be more faithful in those good works. Um, if you don't know Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Him, <clears throat> this would be a good time to, to uh, turn your, your life over to Him as you think about the, the grace that He has, has shown us and the gifts that He has given us in the way of uh, spiritual disciplines. I challenge you to uh, to turn to Christ and, 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 and embrace His grace uh, in your life. And you can do that now. Any of the elders, um, any of the, uh, Pastor Bob or Brian would be happy to talk to you about that. Um, this is the gospel that, that, that God has provided our salvation in full through the work of Christ. And now in response, we engage in the spiritual disciplines as we train to be godly. And I'd recommend these uh, uh, resources here. I could have made a lot longer list, but uh, these are five resources going back to ancient times. Athanasius, who was one of the early church fathers, wrote in the fourth century a book called The Life of St. Anthony. Um, not very well known today, but I, I've, I've read that before The Pilgrim's Progress was published by John Bunyan in about the what, 16th, 17th century. For the thousand years prior to that, the most widely read Christian book was this one, Athanasius' Life of St. Anthony. It's incredible. It is so inspiring. And he practiced all the spiritual disciplines and, and fasting in lots of different ways. And the Holy Spirit was profoundly at work in, in him and through him. Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ, doesn't deal with fasting per se, but um, it's certainly uh, a, a book that you should read when thinking about the spiritual disciplines. And then more recently, I mentioned Richard Foster, Dallas Willard, and John Ortberg's got a really good book called The Life You've Always Wanted that um, is very easy read, but inspiring and practical, um, which you might find beneficial. So I'll close there and let's uh, finish with a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you have not only shown your grace to us, in the work of Jesus and completing uh, that perfectly on the cross and then rising from the dead on our, on our behalf. But then uh, you've also provided for us your word and the gift of prayer and worship and fellowship and uh, fasting and all these other spiritual disciplines. Please, Lord, um, by your Holy Spirit, help us to be mindful in our use of them 
and uh, never to grow legalistic with them, but out of thankfulness to practice these things uh, <clears throat> and to enjoy them as the, the wonderful gifts that they are to draw closer to you and to become more obedient and faithful to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.